The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. In Sierra Leone, everyone's very, very, very friendly and everyone expects to have a nice chat with you every single day when you meet them. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's not just Sounds hello. Sounds very like Yorkshire. You know, it's, it's not just hello, how are you? It's how did you sleep and how was your day yesterday and how are your family? It, it just goes on and on. And yeah. I, you know, I live in London by choice. So I'm not really <laughs> used to anyone speaking to me. <laughs> Hello, I'm Kevin Poulter, and on today's podcast we're talking to Lucy Garrett QC. Lucy spent 18 years working at the construction bar, and just as she was made QC, she decided to take a career break. For the last 12 months, Lucy's been working at the Mayor's Office in Freetown, Sierra Leone, supporting the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change, and, amongst other things, working out sewage issues. You wouldn't expect a barrister's experience to translate easily into sewage and drainage, but Lucy managed to do that during her time in Freetown. The Hearing. Lucy. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, here in person. Yeah. Um, not quite fresh off the plane, but you're back in the UK for a short period from? Freetown in Sierra Leone. So that's really what we're going to start talking about. So usually we start off at the beginning and work our way through, but let's work backwards because you're in Freetown. Why are you in Freetown? Um, why am I in Freetown? Um, I <laughs> this got, is the easy question. Yeah, I, I, I got uh, maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny bit bored and a bit itchy feet. Um, and I rashly said I wanted to have a new challenge and to do something different. And so I applied for a job working in development and got the job. The job was in Freetown, Sierra Leone, which is where I've been living since June last year, um, working with the mayor of Freetown. Um, and it's very, very, very hard. I've got what I wished for. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll love to have you back soon. No, uh, the, the, so the question is really, um, how did you come there? So you said you were getting bored. What were you bored of? You were working at the bar. So it's a really, it's a really odd. When I look back in hindsight, I have always loved being a barrister. Really, really loved it in a quite sort of sad and geeky sort of way. <laughs> and um, for the first ten years, I think I was actually sort of in love with being a barrister. It was just so much fun and so exciting and so interesting. And then maybe I was just loving the job, and I knew I was lucky to enjoy it so much. Mm. But I, there is a downside to the construction bar, which is probably expert reports. And <laughs> I, I just got a little bit bogged down in heavy documents and I just wanted a bit of a bit of a change of scene. Um, and I wanted to do, and to be fair to me, it wasn't just boredom. I also wanted to do something useful for the world. Um, rather than just earning lots and lots of money. Hmm. Right, we're going to come back and look at this a little bit later, but let's move on uh, for, to, to Freetown. So you got there uh, just over from when we were recording this just over a year ago, well, yep. almost a year and a half ago. And uh, did you have a plan at the time or an expectation around what you would be doing, how long you would be there for? I went hoping to stay for at least a year. My initial contract was six months because the okay. people who were employing me only had funding for six months. Um, but that was very soon extended by another whole year. So I knew it would be 18 months um, and that it will be up in December 
Um, so that's been the case now for nearly a year. Okay. So I've known it will be fixed a fixed period. And it's it's working with the uh, Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. Yes. Which is obviously people might be familiar with the first part of that name, uh, maybe less so with the second part. How, did you have an, an already existing relationship with them, or how did you? No, come to be I I um I applied to a lot of different development uh, organisations, NGOs, and uh, not for profits. And I tried to pitch myself as having really excellent project management skills. So okay. I spun the barrister skills, yeah. pretended they were project management skills, but I couldn't get an interview. Nobody would interview me. And I even tried to get a, um, you know, a, recru- a recruitment consultant that specialised mm. in development to recognise how great I was going to be and sell me to development organisations. Couldn't get a recruitment consultant either. So TBI were the only organisation that, that even gave me an interview. Wow. And and for people like me, who don't necessarily understand these things, what's a development organisation? What, what what sort of work are we talking? So I'm, I'm now using jargon from a whole different industry. Um, it's like being cursed. First of all, it's legal jargon, and now it's development <laughs> jargon. So basically, it's just shorthand for all of the organisations that work in what you might call the third sector in charity work. Um, although that's a kind of they don't really like calling it that. Don't we know why? They just don't. Yeah, I I I, um, I work with a few charities and uh, and increasingly people are stepping away from it. I don't know if it's because it's getting some bad press um, uh, recently. Yeah. But the uh, so so uh, we talk about governance. Um, you up sticks. You move probably more than halfway across the world uh, to Sierra Leone, and presumably you get off the plane. What happens next? Well, in Freetown, you get off the plane and then you drag your bags through a kind of mad scrum of waiting, helpful lads uh, to get your boat ticket because you have to get a boat across the bay to Freetown. And the boat journey itself only takes about sort of half an hour, 35 minutes, depending on how good or bad the weather is. But you have to, people who run the boats don't leave until the boat is full up. So you just have to wait until everybody's got off the plane and got onto your boat. So it um, quite regularly takes three hours from getting off the plane to getting to my house in Freetown. Sort of as the crow flies, probably about 45 minutes. Away. Wow. And and how big are these planes? They're starting to get me worried now. No, normal planes, normal planes. Normal planes? Normal planes to West it's Africa. A, so it's a big boat to fill up. Yes, yes, yes. It's. I mean, they, it is reasonably sized. Yeah, and there's no real. There's no real choice. Um, there mm. is a. There is a road that runs round the bay, but it takes about three hours, and you don't really want to drive in the dark mm. in um, West Africa because there's no streetlights, and so if there's a car accident or anything in the road, you can very easily hit okay. it. So driving after dark isn't isn't the best idea. No. And, and was this your first experience of Africa? Or? No, no, it wasn't. No, I've done quite a lot of um, backpacking and travelling and enjoying myself over the years. My, my sort of work-life balance compromise at the bar is having mm. very long holidays every summer where I go somewhere somewhere cool. Oh, you don't seem to be alone in that at the bar. <laughs> it seems it to is, be it popular. Is, it's that, if you're self-employed, <laughs> you have to seize, seize the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so so you, you've been over there before. It wasn't, was it Was it still a, a culture shock? Was it still a... Yeah, I mean, it's obviously very different. I hadn't actually been to West Africa before. I'd been to East Africa um, and, you know, Morocco and Egypt and places like that that people have often been. I mean, I basically knew what to expect and I'd also looked up I also, obviously when I knew I was going to Freetown I started reading history and politics and that kind right. of thing to prepare before I went and 
it's very, 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 very poor. So mm. I knew that it was going to mm. be at the sort of bottom end of the spectrum of the developing countries that I've that I've been to. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say there was, I wouldn't say there was culture shock when I first got there because I think you are almost, mm. you're expecting the food to be different, you're expecting yeah. the weather to be different. I think it's the small things that creep up on you, the differences in behaviour and, and people's, phrases and and what's normal and what's not normal mm. so mm. for example in um in sierra leone everyone's very 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 friendly and everyone expects to have a nice chat with you every single day when you meet them yeah. um it's you know it's not just so it's very much like yorkshire yeah. <laughs> awesome. yeah i'm not really sure where in england it's like um you know it's, it's not just hello how are you it's how did you sleep and how was your day yesterday and how are your family it, it just goes on and on and yeah. i you know i live in london by choice so i'm not really used to anyone speaking to me <laughs> um so, so that, that so that you say that's crept up on you um uh, when when you, you obviously you got to wherever you were staying had you as sort of, TBI had hired they don't, okay. yeah, 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 they make it all very easy. And how much support did they give you in the sort of the run-up? Uh, presumably, you had to have various medical uh, treatments as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a list, and I, I mean, I was pretty much up to date with my jabs and okay. things because of previous travelling. Yeah. Um, you have to have your yellow fever certificate, but I already had that, um, so I had to get my anti-malarials. It's it's actually not as intrepid as it. Okay. Sounds. I should well, be sort of bigging it up a bit, that, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you need your typhoid jab and. Hepatitis and yellow fever. There's a lot of people booking their flights tetanus. right now. To, uh, well, it's to beautiful. Everyone go to Sierra Leone. It's beautiful. And, and well, what crept up on you? Uh, so, so um, you kept a blog whilst you're there. We should mention as well. We'll get over the plug in now because yeah. I've had a chance to read through uh, some of it. Some of it's quite extensive and yes, incredibly I get a bit obsessed. detailed. Yes, that's me. <laughs> and and not entirely what you would expect to see in a travel brochure either. No, well, I. I, I suppose I'm partly writing the blog for myself. Um, it's obviously to keep friends and family at home updated, but I'm doing this really unusual, interesting job mm. that's not like an ordinary NGO job. And I've got this extraordinary opportunity to work with the mayor of Freetown, which it really has been, you know, an honour, an honour to to work with her and mm. support her. She really is extraordinary. Mm. And what we're doing is just, it is pretty amazing. You're actually making actual change. Well, tell me now, what, what are you doing? Uh, first of all, how, how big is Freetown? I've not really got a, a, a About 1.2 million people. Okay, um, so not small place. N- no, it's, I mean, it's a small town. It's quite crowded in. Right. Um, the, the topography is a bit like Rio. So you get these golden sand... Mm. Um, you know, crescent beaches mm. around the coast and then very steep, lush, green hillsides rising up very close to the to the coast. Um, it's another reason why everyone should go, because it is beautiful. Uh, mm. What work are you doing? Um, are you working with the mayor? <clears throat> so I'm, I'm a bit like the closest description to sort of a UK job would be maybe a special advisor. Okay. Um, and my title is governance advisor. Um, mm. Although the mayor would say that um, if she was here, she would say, I don't need any advice. Um, and that is true. She does not need advice. So I say to her, well, really, I'm just here to do to help you and mm. to be an intelligent person that you can discuss things with. It's mm. not advice. Mm. 
um, it's it's uh, it's support. Yeah, better. And to bounce ideas off. Yeah, and 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 we and to sort of help design the systems that you need to make government work. And anyone who listens to this who has been talking to me over the course of this year while I've been coming back, I just I walk around London in the UK now looking at the clean streets and the mm. flushing toilets and. I I really have a newfound respect for the for the hundreds of things that have to happen every day mm. to keep the streets clean. Mm. So uh, that's a, a good lead into really. What what do you think has changed whilst you've been there? Perhaps uh, what what have you seen real change through the initiatives that you've been involved in? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have, um, and and the, and. The, it's really quite hard to convey how extraordinary that is because people work in development for 10, 15, 20 years mm. and they quite often do projects which just peter away into mm. into nothing. Um, but this is obviously government-led because it's coming from the mayor of Freetown. And um, I mean so many things, but um, I've been primarily involved in the sanitation side of things. And that's solid waste and fecal sludge. I've got to get the phrase fecal sludge in because it's all <laughs> I ever talk about. It's a standing joke now. Um, and uh, and we have made the streets of Fleetown clean. And is that cleaner, cleaner? So so you're working with uh, obviously with the uh, with TBI. Uh, you're working with the mayor. Are there other organisations involved in this process as well? Um, we work, there are some implementing partners, NGOs who okay. are carrying out specific infrastructure projects. Mm. Uh, but this is what my job is to help government get better at providing the services government should provide. Right. Obviously, in my case, it's local government because yeah. I'm with the mayor in the city council. Mm. Just as if I was, it's, it's similar to working with Sadiq Khan as opposed to in number 10. Yeah. But that's the, that's the basic distinction. And like the same as in the UK, uh, Freetown City Council has a legal mandate under a statute to carry yeah. out certain services and has certain responsibilities and obligations and has historically been not very good at carrying them out. Mm. Vanishingly, vanishingly tiny amounts of services provided. Really? Yeah, it's really sad, actually. Um, but it, the mayor was only elected last year. She took office in May last year and she's a a sort of radical transformative force um, and she's kick-starting the city council mm. um, to actually provide services and of course you've got this um, sort of social contract government problem where mm. governments have to collect taxes in order to provide services but until you're providing services no one trusts government so they don't want to pay their taxes and even if you are providing services people don't like paying their tax but if you're not providing any at all mm. then that that trust relationship is completely shattered mm. and people in Sierra Leone who have had no services provided to them for probably 40 years are understandably reluctant to to pay their taxes mm. um, and Freetown City Council not very good at collecting them either. So I'm thinking now using your wealth of experience from law school, from university, from uh, working at the commercial bar um, what did it equip you with to deal with fecal sludge? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and I ask myself that question every day. <laughs> having having persuaded Tony Blair to, to the uh, TBI to hire me, I uh, I do I do spend a lot of time free time thinking, why am I here? What am I doing? Um, 
I, I, um, yeah, it's actually quite a hard question. I think I've learned quite a lot of different new skills over mm. the course of the last year. I am quite, I, I'm quite a systems thinker. Mm. I think, I think it's really the sort of the habit of analysis that's been actually the most useful. So normally, obviously, if you're a barrister, you're dealing with a system that's gone wrong in some way. In, in my in my work, it's a big project mm. that's gone wrong. Um, and you have to work out what happened and apply that to the contract. And what I'm doing with the mayor is more designing systems from scratch to, to, to deliver services as opposed to build a, uh, a train or whatever yeah. but the but the the same kind of habit of analysis is useful to test whether the system you're designing is actually gonna gonna work on the ground mm. and quite a lot of development suffers from this building a lovely theory and then nothing actually happens in real life yeah. so quite a lot of um west african and indeed east african countries have got beautiful statues but nobody enforces them right so if you're going to so one of the things i have done in fact in freetown is write a bylaw um and we're actually going to enforce the there's a system for enforcing mm. the obligations in the bylaws without that it's just a theory and would you say that's as close as you've come to having in speech marks a legal uh, role a legal uh, pretty input? pretty much yeah i've looked at quite a few contracts which is just dazzlingly terrible mm. Um, but I've mostly it's mostly been focused on service delivery and how to how to actually make service delivery happen. There's a lot there's a lot of organising that goes into sweeping the streets every day. For example, so there you are in Freetown. Uh, you've been there now for uh, over twelve months. Yeah, uh, way over the initial six months. <laughs> um, do you have a plan to come back? Yeah, yeah. Everyone keeps asking me. I'm Sorry. coming. I'm, no, 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 no. It's fine. This maybe we'll, I can put it to bed. I'm coming Just back. Refer people back to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, uh, there's actually a recording of me saying this now, an actual recording. Um, yeah, I'm coming back in December. My flight back is on the 14th of December. Okay. Um, and then I'm having a bit of a holiday. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to try and recreate my practice. Yeah, so let's take it back then, because you, uh, you, you left at a time when your career was really taking off in a, in a very big way uh, by which I mean you've just taken silk yeah yeah I know it's it, it does sound mad doesn't it um, when you sort of summarize it but I actually I actually started applying for these jobs before I applied for silk and I'd sort of theoretically got the TBI job but they hadn't allocated me to a country at the point when I was doing the silks application um, so it kind of getting silk and then going was was totally a coincidence. Mm. It wasn't a wasn't a plan, <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, it's obviously not the traditional thing to do to 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 leave the country just when things are getting getting exciting. But um, but yeah, it was sort of now or never really. You know, I, when when do you take mm. when do you take yeah. a year and a half off your career? Well, presumably oh, there's wow. never a good time. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and obviously, this is something you've been thinking about yeah. at least and planning yeah. for some time as well. So uh, absolutely, if the opportunity comes along. Um, but what was it? Do you think you, you mentioned maybe it's a little bit boredom, maybe it was sort of looking for the other challenge, or um, is there something else in you that that wants to go out there and and, and uh, do something completely different. You mentioned the travelling and the holidays, but yeah. this is way beyond that. 
Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? I think I just, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's a midlife crisis. You don't look old <laughs> enough. Oh, thank you. Is, is that um, right? That's okay. Yeah, no, that's no, good, that's good. No, I've been it on. Um, the, um, uh, yeah, well, I am definitely am old enough, but the, I don't, I don't know. I think I just, I just, um, I did want to do something that would be of use to the world. The construction bar is is many, many, many things, but it's not doing good for humanity. And I think I, I, I look around and think sometimes I work with people, obviously, who do lots of different types of work. And uh, as an employment lawyer, I think that sometimes you can make a difference. Oh, and you so can too. do some change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I look at my colleagues and I won't mention any specific uh, uh, practice areas <laughs> for fear of uh, comments. But uh, we can uh, do that offline later. How, 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 what motivates you to get up in the morning? What motivates you to come in and, and do this? What I see as being quite dry, formulaic. Yeah, work. but you're just wrong about that. It's not at all. It's totally cool. It's the most oh, fun. It's the most fun. Sell it to me. You should change. You should change. <laughs> it's it's just ace. You get um, construction has got the interesting contracts, which are all different and usually messed up by someone in an interesting and new way. By which you mean a solicitor? <laughs> I would absolutely not. Um, whoever, a nameless individual, okay. messed up the contract. Um, and quite often it's a client. Mm. They think they can. Mm. They think they can write their own. Or it's just that thing where you're trying to make a deal and everyone has to agree to a, a fudged clause. And yeah. fingers crossed, it yeah, won't. It, it won't on, go yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so you've got the interesting contracts. You've got contractors, who I love. Um, they are, you know, rogues quite often. But <laughs> lovable rogues. Lovable yeah. rogues. Yeah. And you've got very very complicated difficult technical points, mm. engineering points, where you get to learn to be a sort of expert in some abstruse area of plastic piping or <laughs> or some weird bit of an oil rig. And that's really, really fun and interesting. Mm. And I always think it's a little bit like something like medical negligence where you get to learn how to do a heart transplant. Yeah. And everyone sort of says, oh, yeah, that must be really interesting. But it is really interesting learning how you build Wembley as well. Mm. That's mm. cool. Mm. Um, so I hang out with engineers a lot. And that's one of my favourite, favourite bits of the um, of the job. And you get quite a bit of advocacy, especially in international arbitration, because cases stand up in international arbitration, whereas obviously very sensible UK clients always always settle. Yeah, very naughty. And I can I can, I can see I can see the appeal. Uh, and when you came into <laughs> it, you, I, I, I meant that gen, gen, sincerely. Uh, but <laughs> did my face give it away? Yeah. The uh, the. When you started out, you didn't do a law degree. No. Um, uh, yet now you are, or, or were before you, you went over to Freetown, you were uh, uh, taking on pupils, you were part of the pupillage committee. Um, and I've I've read some things you've said before about this, saying that actually, yeah, people are still very much, it's still very Oxbridge. Um, although there is a meritocracy there, there's still... Uh, responsibility on real on gatekeepers. Yeah, um, that, I might have been paraphrasing. No, no, no that's, but, I, but, that's exactly what. Uh, you came in from Manchester. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I'm, I'm guessing that's not an originally a southeastern uh, accent. So I was born in Manchester, but I grew up in the south. Oh, okay. Well, that's forgivable. Um, I'd probably do the same if I was born in Manchester. Uh, <laughs> oh, cheek. That's a Yorkshire thing. Uh, but the the the. Uh, so you're down here, but. What was it that sort of moved you towards law and then ultimately onto, uh, well, construction? construction? 
total random chance. <laughs> okay. I'm a really, really bad advert for getting to the bar because I didn't do any of the things that you're supposed to do. I didn't do any meeting. I didn't run the student newspaper or anything like that. I just had fun at university. I did English literature, it's really, you know, quite, if you like reading, if, re if reading is your number one favorite thing, which it is mine, it's a very, very easy degree. So I had a lot of fun at university and I graduated and didn't know what to do for mm. a living. I didn't want to go into academia. That was pretty, I was pretty clear that I wasn't going to be academic. So I took a year off and went traveling, got back from my year off. And I still didn't know what to do for a living. And so my parents, who were by that time getting a bit nervous, started <laughs> suggesting random careers that I could do. And they had um, an old friend from when they lived in, Ma in Manchester, who was an ex-barrister, and he put me in touch with an old pupil of his, who was a family barrister. And I went in for three days to do a you know unofficial mini with this family barrister this is in manchester in manchester okay. and i thought that the family family law was horrendous and i definitely didn't want to go anywhere near it but i thought that being a barrister looked extremely cool and fun and so i thought oh i know i'll just i'll be a barrister and i just got back from traveling and it was it was august and obviously the new year started in september yeah. and i hadn't applied so it should have taken me another whole year yeah. but i rang up manchester met and said have you got any spaces on your law conversion course starting in two weeks time or whatever it was three weeks time yeah. and they said yes if you've got the money to write the check for the postgraduate um fee and i said i will have done once i've gone to the bank to borrow it and so, so within a couple of weeks, I was starting and on my law conversion course. And <laughs> I was bored, wow. bored out of my mind on the law conversion course. Are you, a, are you an undergraduate lawyer or a conversion I, lawyer? I, was, I did law. Yeah, yes. so I, I... I was one of the fools <laughs> uh, who apparently does law and expects I, to be a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I think I would have failed a law degree because I'm not much of an academic. I wasn't really interested in it academically at all. I was interested in it as a tool. And I suppose doing a law conversion course is quite a good, a good way of learning law for that. But you're taught it in a very compressed, mm. rote learning way. And I, w I, just, I just was bored. But I kept hanging on to the idea that once I magically became a barrister, I had no idea that, that the statistics for mm. getting pupillage are just appalling. Mm. And I, when I applied for pupillage, I did it by looking at the sets that offered the most money for the pupillage awards <laughs> and applying to the top 12 highest. I had no clue, no clue what that meant. Well, it's a very logical way of dealing with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and you were successful? One place offered me a pupillage. Wow. It was you're, you're turned be, down by everyone. But else. you're gonna be very unpopular with a lot of people right now. Uh, no, but, I don't think so. I think everyone listening should should take heart and say you know, you try try your arm. You give it a give it a give it a go. Mm. And and you only need to be lucky in one interviews are luck, right, as well, aren't yeah. they? It's yeah. It, it, you well, have to get on with the interviewers. Well you tell me, because you you've been through that role as well, mm. um, as the gatekeeper. Yeah. Uh, how how have you handled that? And I get what advice would you have to people? I think one of the really important pieces of advice is actually know what you put in your application form. Yeah. Because it seems like common sense, but you're absolutely right. You see it over and over yeah. again. People put down that they're particularly interested in a particular area of law or they mention a case that they found really fascinating. Mm. And you'll say to them, tell us why you found that case interesting, which ought to be a really easy question 
because you're only asking them what they've put down. But people will say, oh, no, it's been a while since I read it. And you're um, thinking, no. no, I mean, this, you only, and what I say, I do quite a lot of um, pupillage talks and um, work with the inns and stuff, their outreach things. And the thing I say to all the applicants is, you're in control of the narrative. Mm. You're going to give me the four corners of what I know about you. Mm. So give me some little hooks that you can then feed me a, yeah. a story. And, and obviously, I think when I, when I was applying, it was a bit more traditional. Mostly it was just a two-stage interview process. And they just asked you questions and maybe would give you kind of a, a few law points to, to talk about. And you, you were in luck if you knew, if you happened to know that area of law, you could answer the question. But if you didn't know it... You wouldn't, which is totally unlike real life, because yeah. obviously you just look it up in real <laughs> yeah, life. Absolutely. Nobody asks you just off the top of your head. It's crazy. Um, but I think nowadays lots of chambers do it mm. in a more realistic way. We mm. certainly do. We have a, um, a a little opinion you have to write on a real set of papers and um, and you have to do a sort of advocacy uh, session at your both interviews. Yeah. You do a little mini debate and then a okay. talk later. But, but I think lots of chambers do that now. And... Um, you say we. Um, have Keating been sort of keeping the the door open, as it were, <laughs> yeah. the seat warm? Yeah, uh, no, they've been they've been great. Um, I uh, I had two reactions when I said I was I was off, which one was complete bafflement. You know, you've worked so hard for seventeen mm. years. Why are you now going to throw your practice in the bin and walk out the door? And the other one was just envy. And my head of chambers was in the envy category. And he just kept repeating, "Oh, wish I, wish I was coming, wish I was coming with you, wish I was, wish I was doing something like this." Wow. I said, "Well, don't worry, Tav. I'll, I'll send you some emails." <laughs> so you've had any visitors whilst you've been there? Half, yeah, yeah. Not from Chambers, sadly, but um, yeah, a um, couple of friends. Mm. Um, my dad came out. Wow. My sister's too scared. Uh, really? Yeah. Is that because you've been reading the blog? <laughs> you put her <laughs> off. I hope not. I don't know. <laughs> and and so you're coming back to practice. Um, do you have any you, you've been away for 18 months like the, the country's changed probably a little bit since then yes but, gosh hasn't it um are you worried about getting back in touch with with clients regular clients with the people that you were working with before um picking up the case log which presumably have you been keeping on top of no that? i've no. i mean i haven't been reading any law so okay, i've got, I've got some catching up to do council listen to that presumably no. <laughs> first, uh, you've been reading everything i know i haven't i haven't been practicing for uh, at all because it really is a mega full-time job that i'm doing in freetown um and so yeah no i'm really just i've just decided not to worry about mm. my practice until i come back when i'm going to do a big marketing yeah. pitch and work as hard as possible to pick the clients up and I'm hoping that quite often in my area of law you're out for six months because you've got one or two big cases and you're not really generally available and because you're working you think oh everyone knows I'm working but they don't Mm. you're just not available for Mm. their case yeah and so I think I think people barristers obviously are completely paranoid weird people who are obsessed with their with their practice and obsessed with every case being their last and it's really easy to just become terrified that that fear that every barrister has that every case will be their last you you have to try not to let that run your life so I'm just working on the basis that everything's going to be fine and we'll see whether that turns out to be right or not and we've talked about using your legal skills over in Freetown, but what will you be bringing back with you? Do you think your work will change, the way you, you handle things will change? 
as a result of these experiences? I, do you know, I think I'm going to be... If any clients listen to this, they're going to laugh. I think I'm going to be a bit more patient. I think I'm going to appreciate a bit more how extraordinarily well everything has run at the commercial in the commercial world in, this, in litigation and arbitration. And my my boss has this in Freetown has this really cool management style where we when we have team meetings. She makes everybody say an achievement, something they've managed in the last sort of couple of weeks, something they're mm. happy about. And you're allowed to say a frustration as well, okay. but she, she, she makes everyone say an achievement. And I think we could bring a bit more of that usefully into, into arbitration and litigation. Mm. And so I think I'm going to channel M a bit more and try... You tend to have, I mean, you all know this, right? You tend to have meetings in the middle of a case and you're very, very, very focused on bang, bang, bang. There are 10 things to get through. Yeah. We need to make decisions. The client needs to be advised in a clear way. We have to have a discussion. We have to move on. And everyone, time is tight and it's expensive. But I don't, I think we don't, mm. certainly I haven't. I've, you know, I'm a bit of a sort of business-like crack-on kind of barrister. And I, I, think, I think it would be, be a better team feeling in the litigation if we could sort of celebrate what we've done so far mm. just mm. rather you than could, always looking ahead to the next thing yeah because it, because quite often in a case just you know you've got that report in and that was you know huge mm. everyone had to work late everyone really pulled pulled late night and mm. and really really worked hard and uh yeah, it's. I, I think. I think I'm going to bring M's more celebratory style of leadership. And uh, will you be bringing back the uh, the, the curly hair? <laughs> uh, because uh, it was if it was difficult to spot you uh, as you arrived. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, somebody in actually, I saw someone in chambers who said, "You've changed your hair." I said, "No, this is my hair. It's just I haven't blow dried it for over a year, so That's all the curls have come back." You've got a very much a, a sort of a, the sun-kissed look at the, right now. That's um, from France. I think that's... Oh, okay. That's from France. I was on holiday in France. Oh. It's been rainy season since June. I have not seen the sun in, in West Africa since June. Well, that final announcement came from the West African Tourist Board. And uh, uh, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. I, I want to just... Uh, we should celebrate those small wins. I want to thank myself for not calling you Leslie Garrett. I don't know, for some reason, I, that's all I see when I look at your name. Uh, I avoided that, uh, which everyone's <laughs> pleased about. But thank you so much for joining us. And, no problem. And uh, we'll well, look forward to welcoming you back in December. Cool. Thank you. The Hearing. As ever, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us again and why not give us a rating or subscribe? That way you'll get an alert every time we release a new episode. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.